This podcast features three supposed adults who definitely use adult language. They're also supposedly writers who are definitely not procrastinating by making this podcast. Listener discretion is advised. to No Bad Ideas, the storytelling game show where we take the worst ideas on the internet and try to turn them into stories that are actually good. My name is Gabriel Urbina and I am your first Bad Ideas host. My name is Sarah Shackett. I'm your second Bad Ideas host. And my name is Zach Valenti, your third Bad Ideas host. And today, gentlemen, we are blessed with a guest to help us tackle bad movie ideas. There's very few people who know more about movies. I'm very excited to bring Ethan Warren, the former editor of Brightwell Darkroom and author of the forthcoming The Cinema of Paul Thomas Anderson, American Apocrypha. Ethan, you're way too qualified to be here, but we're very happy you're here nonetheless. <laughs> I am thrilled to be here and I am, let's say, the exact right amount of qualified. I think that'll work for everybody. Incredible. It's awesome to have you here. We have often felt massively underqualified to be doing this much fast talking about terrible ideas. So we're very excited to find out what someone that is exactly the right amount of qualified will do in this show. <laughs> I know from terrible ideas, no question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm delighted to be the first bringer of badness for us today. Link in the show notes for anybody who's interested in clicking in to this nugget of badness from Fox17.com. Pet Fish goes on, quote, shopping spree using owner's credit card and a Nintendo Switch. Mm. Okay. Uh, I, I see the logistics of how this could be. Credit card fraud is apparently so easy that even a pet fish can do it, according to one gaming channel on YouTube. A series of random choices from a pet fish is said to have led it to using its owner's credit card to make online shop purchases by way of Nintendo's popular video game console, the Switch. <laughs> random, quote unquote. <laughs> the, quote, crime was caught on a live stream and later shared in its own video. Link through the article. Japanese YouTuber Mute Kimaru Channel explained their aquatic friend's heist was made possible through a setup intended to test if the fish could beat on its own the newest Pokemon game installment, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. Okay, so it's like Twitch plays Pokemon, but Fish plays Pokemon was the intended effect that we were going for. Exactly. For science, clearly. Exactly. But instead, the fish opened up the Nintendo Switch eShop, added <laughs> funds to its account using the owner's credit card. Uh, the, owners, the owner said they were not supervising the fish at the time, instead broadcasting it for a live stream audience to watch. That's why you got to keep an eye on your fish. Yep. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And don't leave the fish home alone online. Uh, Mute Kimaru's setup includes a webcam that records the pet fish's movements. Behind the aquarium is a grid of tiles that host several control options, including directional inputs and buttons okay. for the switch that allow choices to be made. This was my question of like, how yes, was yes. the fish interfacing? We were not going to go without explaining how this works. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. It's way too much equipment is what I've decided. That is the correct take. Uh, when the fish swims in front of a tile, the webcam records the selection and passes on that information to the game, allowing the playable character to move, make decisions, 
and apparently even to make unwanted purchases. Using that setup, the fish has already beaten an older iteration of the game franchise called Pokemon Sapphire. A video sharing the fish's accomplishments has attained over 450,000 views. And from another article, I actually learned that the fish unseated the reigning champion of the Pokemon Sapphire game somehow. As the story goes, the little aquatic pet was making good progress in beating the new Pokemon game. It won several battles and made its way through the game for over 1,000 hours, but eventually the fish's choice of inputs led it to accessing the game's console's eShop, where players can purchase a slew of products from from other games to in-game add-ons. So it goes, the fish was able to use Mute Kimaro's saved credit card information to purchase 500 yens worth, about $4, of digital currency and add it to its wallet on the Switch console, but that wasn't the end of it. The fish then downloaded an app that allows users to play older Nintendo 64 Nintendo games. Fish play Star Fox. I'm here for it. I'm telling you. That's right. (laughs) Requested a setup confirmation email from PayPal, spent the reward currency to buy a new player avatar, and even changed (laughs) Mute Kimaru's Nintendo account name from Mute Kimaru to (laughs) Yeah, sounds about right. (laughs) (laughs) These actions were all made possible by this webcam setup created for the fish, and they were all broadcast to a live audience. After about seven hours of this, the fish selected the right inputs that powered off the Switch console, ending its unsupervised romp. Upon discovering the damage done, Mute Kimaro said they contacted Nintendo hoping for a refund, which the game company granted. All right. That's nice. Uh, Mute Kimaro said that they hope people share the story of their <laughs> aquatic pets' escapades. And there's a bunch of quotes from people on the stream expressing their pride for the fish for reading the terms of service, uh, because apparently it was many hours of reading through the terms of service. Wow. <laughs> oh, one thing that wasn't in this article that was in not as good an article, but is a key detail was that the YouTuber's credit card information was actually exposed during the stream, requiring them no. to cancel one of their cards. Oh, my God. Jesus. So with all that said, I give you 10 minutes on the clock to turn this letting your pet loose with your billing information on the internet uh, into something entertaining for potentially families of all ages. Yeah, man, I hope seven hours is a long time. And I hope that this streamer was asleep. I think they were traveling. Oh, oh no. Right. No, no. I don't think they were home. <laughs> Good Lord. And the just live stream was going anyway. I think they just got an email from PayPal being like, hey, so you wanted us to email you. Yeah. And they're like, uh, no. But it's nice to have like cutbacks to like him on vacation, him having a nice lunch. He's having some the airport. ice cream. His credit card getting declined. <laughs> Meanwhile. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. In terms of turning this into an actual story, the first thing that comes to mind is I feel that there were a lot of Cold War spy thrillers where it was like Professor Partington has the secret algorithm that will lead to the nuclear codes or something. And then it turns out that what Professor Partington has is like a parrot that says the exact words in the right sequence or, you know, a fish that you know, swims in a very particular pattern, and that is the secret to winning the Cold War. And so I'm just thinking about like, okay, Nintendo eStore, that's a nice place to start. But kind of what is the way that this could escalate? Like, who could be the owner of this fish that would have something more high stakes in their home than 
a Nintendo Switch controller. Like that's kind of where Sapphire my Sapphire isn't high stakes enough for you. <laughs> Yo, hang on, quick, <laughs> quick, quick sidebar. Hearing this article referred to it as like this very, very old game, Pokemon Sapphire, like made a part of me die inside a little bit. I remember when that was the new upcoming game that we were all looking forward to. I know, I know. If it's not red or blue, it's new. It's oh. That reminds me, that shook loose, that literally a week before finding the story, I saw a YouTuber do a similar setup for stocks, where they had a fish that could, like, be on the buy or don't buy side of the tank, and he hooked it up with, like, an actual bank account. We have too much time. Is this like a subculture of YouTubing, like, let your fish do stuff? I'm starting to think it might be wild. It really sounds like it is. I guess like it's the perfect combination of high stakes and like really soothing ASMR environmentals, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> <laughs> well, there might be something to like a rom-com set in the world of fish culture, I suppose, you know, like 101 Dalmatian style, where it doesn't seem like the owners of Bongo and Petita have that much in common besides the fact that they own Dalmatians. But that is just enough for them to start dating. Right. And then the fish don't like each other and start wreaking havoc on the other person's digital lives, I guess. Or the fish are, are competitors in this high stakes world of Pokemon. Oh, fish fighting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the fish are Pokemon trainers. Absolutely. Who are constantly defeating each other to take control of a gym. Most people tune in for the smack talk, mm. which is just like <laughs> over and over again on a Nintendo Switch. I guess. All right. So like just a little bit to start to land the plane <laughs> perspective. Is this a story told from the perspective of the human owners of the fish? Is that a perspective told from the fish's point of view? Who is the main character here? I want this to be like a CGI, like. The fish are the main characters thing. I want it, I want these fish to want to be the best at what they do. And what they do isn't very nice. All right, great. Fish that want to be the very best like no one ever was. Sold. We are we're making this. Great. This is taking place in the same dental office as Finding Nemo. <laughs> <laughs> this is the question that I have. <laughs> They're the replacement fish that the dentist got after all those fish. Escaped. rolled out the yeah. window. I personally don't see why not, but there may be a better place for them. I mean, the logline that we would use to sell this would be Finding Nemo meets Boss Baby, which <laughs> I don't know why itself. studios <laughs> wouldn't give us that money now. Five minutes on the clock. <laughs> yeah, you may need to hold that clock, Zach, while I get my smelling salts to revive myself <laughs> after... <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 but you asked, a, just said. <laughs> you asked a good question of who is the protagonist. And so, it, it, Ethan, I think if we're going like these fish are sort of Hoxian professionals and are interested in being the very best at what they are, like, I guess we, we start our protagonist is like a hotshot Cary Grant-esque fish that's very, very good at Pokemon and or stocks. And then or a ladyfish <laughs> who happens to be better shows up in the tank? I don't know. Well, what happened to our, our, our romantic rivals with the, the owner's angle? Because oh, sure. the relationship between the fish and the owners also is, is a rich vein here. Even if the owners can't understand the fish, you know, Very there's got to be some, some connection, some parallel longing on the part of the owners and the fish. Perhaps, perhaps this might be the way to kind of weave through this aquarium. Two people, two human beings, they have fish they each use the fish to play pokemon because apparently this is a thing that multiple people do 
They meet, fall in love, combine the aquariums, but then one day, the owner of one of the fish wants to transition out of Pokemon and into stocks. <laughs> and so now it is kind of that, you know, age old conflict of, you know, do you go back to the thing that makes you happy or do you look for stability? And, you know, and what does that do to the relationships that you had in your life? Or maybe these two rival fish need to now team up. That's right. To lure, lure one of them back, lure, lure the owner back from the precipice of this capitalist nightmare it's falling into. I actually quite like that. I think that's a great adjust. Yeah. Which either would involve them tanking, pun very much intended, the stocks experiment so mm -hmm. that they go back to Pokemon or like Maybe this is tied to some sort of online Pokemon tournament of like if they get far enough in the tournament, then the owner will disregard the whole stocks option. And they have to they have to win at Pokemon Sapphire in a worldwide global competition. Perhaps to bring it back to the original idea in order to disincentivize the owner from becoming a stocks streamer. It's not just that they need to pick the wrong stocks, but it's something where they need to get his money away from him so that, you know, he just like does not have the resources to be focused on stocks anymore. So we have to go back to the idea of the fish need to figure out a way to hack into the system and perform a fishy heist that steals all of his funds. All of this is happening, meanwhile, just with the how the fish look at certain boards. Just to confirm. Uh -huh. <laughs> cool. Sure. That's how it can start. But if we're playing in a cartoon universe, then I think the fish heist has to have them like leave the tank in some Rube Goldbergian way. I think I think we take a leaf out of Tron's book and Say these more. fish are teleported into uh, the like digital mental hyperspace in which they can like actually rob the bank. But. I see. Like I see. Matrix style, more guns. <laughs> cool. I, I I dig that. I think we can work with that. Fishes with guns. I love it. <laughs> Nemo meets Boss Baby meets Matrix One. <laughs> I need more smelling salts. <laughs> well, you have one minute uh, to tell oh, me who is it starring, how does it end, and what's it called? And restart my brain. <laughs> well, it's obviously got to be starring Chris Pratt because he does the voice well, of and he does the voice of everything. Yeah. everything. Fabulous. That's yes. right. That's right. I feel like Elizabeth Banks would be in this movie. <laughs> she would either be in it or directing it. Like it might yeah. be her first animated directed feature. Sure, sure, sure. What is this called? I'm trying to think about what's a good title. Yeah. Like yeah. there has to be some like horrific pun to it. Like if it was a different kind of crime, it would be something that's like you got catfished or something like that. <laughs> but for this particular kind of crime, I'm not sure. Or for like this world of stock, like... um. Big fish is already a thing, so we can't use that. Yeah, but, unfortunately. Um, yeah, you know. Tanking the market. Oh, Ooh, my God. There I love it that. is. That's Perfect. There it is. Basically, I stole that from Sarah, but there you go. No, no, no. This is teamwork. <laughs> and that glorious works. note of teamwork, that's time. My God, I love what you've done with the place. <laughs> what a wild thing to have happened to someone, my Lord. But it's also like, I guess they set themselves up yeah. for success slash failure oh, by giving their fish that setup. But also like hilarious that it's even possible. Seriously, my God. Only $4. It's a very modest heist. <laughs> very, very true. But hey. All right, you guys want to jump into a second bad idea? See how that one treats us? Let's do it. More than anything in the world. Take us away. All right. So this is coming from a far less reputable source than Zach's idea. 
i.e. from <laughs> just um, a reminder fox <laughs> so <laughs> well well zach i'm taking the bar us to reddit, on the floor so the What's bar next? is now in the underground okay great it is from reddit's um eternal place of misery and shame the am i the asshole yes. board there will be a link to this in the episode description in case you would like to read along however for the suspense of the piece, I'm going to not read the top headline until we are done with it. We're just going to jump into the body of the post itself. The post reads, I need the opinions of AV geeks and pilots on a matter involving my wife. And then in all caps, I am completely serious and need help. Okay. Sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, already. My wife and I, together for five years, married for two, no kids, have an amazing, happy relationship. I can't recall a single time we've ever argued to the point of even considering breakup or divorce. This issue, however, is causing me to reconsider the health of our relationship. Since my wife and I have been together, I have worked as a manager for a restaurant chain. I am an extremely passionate aviation enthusiast in my free time. I have spent thousands of dollars on flight textbooks, sim gear, and even built my own A330 setup. I have never actually flown a plane or started flight training. Let me read that sentence one more time just so we can all <laughs> hold on to it. I have never actually flown a plane or started flight training, but I have considered it. For a long time. Oh my God. <laughs> Even though my skills are not a career, I consider myself as adept or possibly more knowledgeable than the average pilot. <laughs> that being said, here's where the problem arises. I feel that in many ways I could just back off and this would be a bad idea yeah, on its own, but here's no. where the problem arises. <laughs> my wife and I were invited to one of her male co workers' house for a barbecue. My wife is a senior software tech for a COVID startup. She's worked there since 2020, a lucky catch after she was laid off from her previous job due to the virus. It was my first time meeting many of her now close co-workers due to COVID and working from home. I had assumed she talked about me before, but as we were cycling through introductions, I became less sure. We make our way down the line to the host of the party a new male hired that she has grown platonically close with. We exchanged casual conversation, and Greg, the host, asked what I do for a living. My wife chimes in with, he manages a, insert fast food chain. It certainly comes with some benefits. I'm assuming she's referring to the free food. In a voice that implied nothing was wrong with what she said, I very quickly corrected her and told him that I am a pilot. My wife already knows how insecure I am about my job and how I'd much rather be introduced by my hobby. I've earned oh. the title oh, of pilot no. through my 500-plus I... hours on the sim and thousands of dollars put into my craft. Wow. I think it is incredibly disrespectful of her not to acknowledge my skills and training. Oh. Just because I don't have the title of pilot on an overpriced piece of paper doesn't mean I am not a pilot. I laughed it off with Greg, told him under my breath that my wife was often forgetful, which I'm sure no. he's realized just from working with her. This can't no. be real. He seemed to brush it off casually. At this point, I'm fuming. 
but I don't go much farther than exchanging some nasty glances at my wife for the rest of the night. As we pack into the car to leave, the argument starts. She feels as if I don't deserve my title as a pilot because I'm not professional. I told her she is completely insensitive to the work I've done and will never understand what it's like to study so much. She's currently on the couch as I type this. And so the original poster asks the key question, am I the asshole for asking to be respected? By your fake hobbyist title. This is amazing. This can't be real. I don't I don't care if it's real. It's a work of art. <laughs> it sounds like a pitch for a, a Tim Robinson. I think you should leave sketch. Yes. <laughs> the title, by the way, is the I'm the asshole for asking my wife to respect my title as a pilot. Wow. Or excuse me, excuse me. It is actually, am I the asshole for asking my wife to respect my title, a pilot? It even has that charming little typo in it. So Incredible. And so with all of that psychic damage done onto your cerebellums, I am yeah. putting... Gabriel, pass the smelling salts. <laughs> <laughs> They're on oh, their way, man. but so is this 10-minute timer that I'm starting right now. Lord... Give me the what I assume is white male entitlement. I think we can very safely assume that that is what we're dealing with here. I mean, emotion to start the movie with an up style, they fall in love montage <laughs> leading up to this barbecue. <laughs> leading up to yeah. him, him discovering his first airline sim and just realizing right. like, it, nothing will ever be the same. That's the, that's what's wild to me is that like what other red flags is this woman ignoring? I know. Yeah. yeah. I was wondering that myself. Like like what was the first thing on their wedding day that he said that everybody just had to hold their fucking breath? I think that perhaps the we're now theorizing about a hypothetical real human being and I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole. But I think that a like exceedingly generous read might perhaps be that the fact that we have all spent three years having very little social contact might have really saved them from some of this just because there just have maybe not been as many chances for these sorts of things to come up. Still, though, I feel like I'm grasping at straws. Yeah, but I think you're on to the, the right track, Ethan, of like a very normal dude who then falls in love with an airline simulator doesn't want to become a pilot, has found the like profound, correct experience <laughs> through the simulator, but doesn't get any respect because he is not, in fact, a pilot. Well, and maybe his wife is urging him towards actually taking flight training. Maybe sure. like, oh, right. this is this is what your passion is. And it's no, 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 I, I'm getting enough. Me right. and Microsoft Flight Simulator are good. Yeah. What genre is this? I mean, what what style are we looking at here? Because I'm I'm seeing this as like a uh, like Joe Swanberg micro budget like <laughs> mumblecore things. Yeah, I was thinking sort of a Lars and the Real Girl kind of a space. I love that provisional pitch. A uh, support group for people who aren't what they want to be. You have oh. the like definitely mm. special ops. Because they've played a thousand hours of whatever first-person shooter. There, there could be somebody who considers themselves a Pokemon trainer, even though they're a fish. Yep. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, lots and lots of people could think that they're in a rock band because they have played the video game Rock Band. 
I think that you guys may have stumbled onto the next great Charlie Kaufman movie. I think this is brilliant. <laughs> this, and this is the Greek chorus who he goes to for support right. as his wife increasingly fails to understand him. Because <laughs> yes. this is this is the journey of him starting to question his marriage, not her starting to question hers somehow. <laughs> <laughs> no, these are these are the people that whenever he walks into these meetings, everyone is like, hi, Captain, how are you doing? You know, how are how are the skies treating you? Right. I want to give him like a fear of heights. And I don't know if that's going too far <laughs> of just like that's at, like because why the simulator being the like pinnacle of the experience as opposed to like actual flight phobia is maybe too clumsy a swing to justify that. But I'm just I'm scrambling for something. I feel like it's exactly the right amount of clumsy. <laughs> Well, and maybe maybe he has got a therapist or something who pushes him towards this simulator as a, as a way right. of exposure therapy to get over the fear of heights. And he discovers this passion for the skies. Sure. <laughs> right. But on the ground, passion for right. the skies. Yes, 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 yes. Very important. <laughs> right. And then the oh, climax man. of the movie is that he needs to somehow face this fear of heights. He needs to scale a large tower or something. But we can come back to what the exact context for that is later. I just want to put that in our back pocket. And and jump off it with a paraglider to become mm, a pilot, God. finally. <laughs> That's right. And one of his wacky friends can have a paraglider and it feels normal at the time. But it, we're seeding it for the final set piece. Yeah, yeah, he, needs, yeah. he needs to sort of be rubbing his wife's face in it a little bit. He's, a little bit. He, needs, he needs to spite her. I guess that can't be the end of the movie. This is the inciting incident sure. is, is discovering that his wife doesn't want to introduce him as a pilot. And that, that leads him down this, this whole rabbit hole of spite and disgust towards her. This is uh, five minutes, by the way. We are halfway through our time with the good pilot. This is the saddest story I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. It's extremely upsetting. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, I know that we are now dealing in the world of Charlie Kaufman, but I really am trying to avoid the like natural downward spiral of this course of events. And like, what is it like? Do we want him and his wife to reconcile by the end of the, the no. film? I want this woman to be free. Well, that's fair. <laughs> I, I, I do, too. <laughs> Well, yeah. what is she getting out of this marriage in the first place, though, that is, has led her to not walk away at this point? Where, where is the tension? I mean, does she love those benefits of the free fast food that's, that she's getting? She that's where my head was away. at. Was just like, they both have deeply irrational loves. Him for flight sims, her for Arby's. Yeah. Like, free Arby's. That's right. That's right. Specifically. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, that might be the only way that I would consider eating there. <laughs> I, yeah, all right, great. So I think that that is I, all right. So perhaps it's one of those movies where at first you kind of think that it's a horribly mismatched couple. And then no. by the end of the movie, you start to see the twisted logic that brought these two people together in the first place, perhaps. That's that's what I think. Even though they may go their separate ways, they will with a newfound respect for how demented sure, they both sure, are. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> and maybe maybe it's, you know, we initially sympathize with her, but her passion for Arby's just becomes so clear and overpowering <laughs> towards the end right. that, you know, we, we see that these are two equally broken human beings. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's a shame. Nicolas Cage is a little too old to play the main character in this now, but if we had a time machine, he would be a great earthbound pilot. Which is not a bad title. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, I feel like John Krasinski has gone 
like full action star on Amazon. So he's not the right pull either. Not quite. But no, I'm trying no, to no. think of people his age. I'm too stuck on it being Tim Robinson. It just feels made for him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can we can go that direction. That's all Absolutely. right. We can, we can tailor it to him. This is the I think you should leave movie. It's the the kids in the hall brain candy for I think mm-hmm. you should leave. <laughs> <laughs> this is perfect. And they can all be in it. For sure. Beautiful. Two minutes. Let's talk just a little bit about how this escalates. So the movie begins. We have like our lovely up style montage about these two people falling together despite his comical fear of heights. We see him being a little bit dissatisfied with his job, Arby's, but you know, everything's okay. No, like, you know, and, <laughs> it, it, it won't be for too long. He's only going to be there for one summer. But then, you know, the years keep going by. And his wife is very supportive. In fact, his wife insistent. is incredibly supportive. His wife is there, there every actually. day. <laughs> yeah. oh, oh, <laughs> Over the meat. Oh, oh, I don't like it. <laughs> and then his therapist gives him, starts him down the slippery slope. A few years later, he is obsessed with all of the flight training. This party happens and this inciting incident occurs. What is the next step? Like, what happens after this? Is it kind of... A grand tour of him going to everyone in his life and trying to find people that agree with him. He's got to find his way to the support group at some point. Ah, right, right. right. No, and so I think like a lot of rejection from the people in his life, he finds this support group. And I just want to throw it out there. I don't know where it fits in the arc of the narrative, but he and his wife should be on a plane and they Uh should ask is there, are there any pilots on this plane? <laughs> That's a good climax. <laughs> and, and, and he's immediately like, yes. And she's yes, going, hello. put your hand down. What is wrong with you? And they have this big fight in front of like a hundred people on this plane. While it's and it going turns down? Out, no, no, no. <laughs> the twist is that the two pilots are having an argument about something very technical and are looking for a third arbitrator. And he, with his incredible sim knowledge and hours of technical training, knows the right answer. And he gets the respect of these two pilots. But no one else. because But no but, one else. But unfortunately, his wife and him had a, such an acrimonious, loud argument that they end up getting put on the no-fly list. Yes. Perfect. They're banned from the airline. And that, and that is time, unfortunately, with that lovely thought concluded. Oof. Wow. I'd watch it. Yeah. I think this has got legs. as well. <laughs> or maybe even some wings. <laughs> Thank you to all three of you for grappling with that horrible thing that I dredged up from the internet. Well, and oh. we haven't determined, is he the asshole? I, I, I think, I think that yes, there is. there ever was one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, Zach, you are being extremely generous by deciding that this man is fictional before he's the asshole. Oh, my God. I, I can only hope. <laughs> although if you want a real ride the comment section on this is golden (laughs) well we're gonna go take a quick glance through the comment section on that but we'll be right back after um, this quick message Hey there, Zach Valenti here with a quick reminder that if you love No Bad Ideas or any of the podcasts Gabrielle, Sarah, and I create, you can support us with a monthly membership at nobadideaspodcast.com slash support. 
For as little as $1 a month, you can get access to the No Bad Ideas back catalog and hear every bad idea we've ever done. And as an Idealist member, you could even snag a special shout-out in the credits. You can learn more and sign up today at nobadideaspodcast.com slash support. Once more, that's nobadideaspodcast.com slash support. All right, and with that, let's get back to the show. And welcome back. We have now been through all of the comments. We are the assholes, but we are so, so lucky to be joined by Mr. Ethan Warren. Thank you for hanging out, Ethan. Thank you for having me. This has been a blast already. Awesome. And we would love to pick your brain both about this incredible book that you've written and also writing film criticism, which is a a very particular, wonderful, creative endeavor. And I'm curious when watching movies, it sort of entered your head to write about them in that way. Well, you know, the idea of being like a film critic was not ever something that came into my head. It was it was the discovering Bright Wall, Dark Room that really led me into the way of writing about movies that interested and excited me, which was, you know, Bright Wall, Dark Room has a very personal focus in the way that they cover film. So my first essay for them was about the movie Spirited Away but through the lens of becoming a parent at the beginning of the Trump administration. And so sort of finding the two sticks to rub together to create something was the way that that I found my way into it. And now I've written this book, which is very much like academic film criticism. It's not by any means sort of personal or creative. But yeah, that's I guess it's it's finding a way to focus on the you in mm. writing about movies, I think, is the essential thing for me is just finding the the confidence in your own perspective as unique and worthy and worthwhile. For anyone that hasn't found their way yet, could we just take a second and do the like 30 word version of what Bright Wall Dark Room is? It's one of my favorite sites on the Internet, and I just don't want anyone that has not encountered that site yet to walk away from this episode not knowing the treasure trove that awaits them there. Sure. So, I mean, Bright Wall Dark Room, which is an online film journal devoted to long-form film and TV criticism, which I was an editor for for the last four years um, before parting ways a few months ago, amicably and and with a lot of love in my heart. It's it's They describe themselves as a different lens on film. So it's, it's no hot takes, all long <laughs> reads, no clickbait, stuff that is essays that you wouldn't find at any other site. So whether that's a personal take or, you know, they solicit work from as many poets as film critics, if not more, um, you know, for example. Yeah, it's it's a wonderful and unique spot. And I'm curious then, like, how, because I've read some wonderful Bright Wall Dark Room pieces by you about the Grish Pizza, for instance, like sort of how <laughs> how your work there sort of transitioned into you uh, writing this Paul Thomas Anderson book. Well, I, I wrote a piece on Punch Drunk Love for uh, an essay or for an issue rather in around 2017 or so called Second Time Around, which was an issue that was all about movies that you had to come back to a second time to really sort of click with. And Punch Drunk Love is a movie that I had a very 
contentious relationship with before falling in love with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had and the exact same set of experiences with that one. Yeah, I'm not surprised. It's 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 such an assaultive, abrasive movie. You know, I, I felt really alienated from it the first time. And mm-hmm. then the process of figuring out how and why I had that reaction and, and what Anderson was doing that elicited it led to this deeper and deeper fascination with the the movie and the essay led me to want to, well, maybe I should write a whole book about punch drunk love. And then that didn't really end up making sense, but, <laughs> you know, led to, well, how about I try and the whole question for me is what the hell does PTA think he's doing? And it's, that's been the question since the first time I saw punch drunk love. And then it led to that essay. And then it led to this book, which is an investigation of what the hell is this guy's deal? <laughs> I mean, that begs, I, I mean, people should read the book to find out what PTA's deal is. In my but, opinion. Yeah. <laughs> in solid cast in stone fact, in fact. Yes. Yes. <laughs> As someone who had to do a group presentation and had to watch Magnolia three times in quick succession. Wow. Nine hours of your life. <laughs> gone. Not gone. They're, they're, they were spent towards a goal, which is more than most of the people in that movie can say. <laughs> but I'm curious, like, how you would make the pitch for PTA as a director? Like, what makes him a great American director? Well, I think he is somebody who he makes he makes very often sort of serious, weighty movies, but never takes himself terribly seriously. And so it's that balance of an almost Kubrickian level of commitment to his craft that is balanced with a sort of Altman-esque madcap uh, looseness. He is, he is somebody who seems to always be mashing two influences or two sort of styles and tones together in a really unique way. He is not somebody who you can pin down their genre in any particular way, even in a single movie. And so that, I think, is it's looking at the fact that There Will Be Blood is this sort of mammoth biblical epic that is also bizarre and has a has the line brother from another mother in it. He, he has never made a comedy that isn't serious and he's never made a serious movie that isn't very funny. Yeah. Right. And I think his genre is the valley. Well, yes, certainly. <laughs> yeah. What's that? Six out of nine movies, I think. Now, I'm sure that there is at least one person that is listening to this episode and has never seen a Paul Thomas Anderson movie in their life. Nowadays, now that you've kind of done a very, very deep dive, where do you recommend people start on their PTA journey? Like, where do you think is the best starting point for the newbies? That is a really interesting question. There's kind of no bad place to start, but also maybe no great place to start. (laughs) (laughs) Like if you start with Boogie Nights, which is about as watchable a movie as there could possibly be if you can handle a movie about porn. The porn industry. A very very sweet and gentle movie about porn uh, that makes it's almost a a porn fairy tale. If you can, if you start with that, it's not necessarily going to give you a sense of where the rest of the career is going to go because he gets rid of that uh, sort of cocaine style very quickly. Uh, His his, Boogie Nights and Magnolia are, are basically cocaine on film. And then he shifted into uh, Punch Drunk Love, which is a movie that he said was inspired by marijuana. So <laughs> your drug of choice. And, and, you know, and I'm not the only person to have said that the phase that he's in and since Punch Drunk Love has been the, the weed phase. Mm. I mean, I, would, I guess I would say you can't go wrong starting with There Will Be Blood. It's mm. that's the movie that made it all click for me and made me really fall in love with him. It, it feels like it is this sort of Oscar bait period epic, but it so quickly establishes itself as something 
beautifully unique and engaging and strange and fascinating. So I guess Boogie Nights and There Will Be Blood, that's going to give you the, the sense of the spectrum right there. Yeah, get that double feature. I love no, it. I can <laughs> six hours of your life right there. <laughs> yeah, there you go. When you sort of are looking at a film again or sort of looking at it with an eye towards writing about it, I'm, I'm so curious about how this is for everyone. Do you, does how you watch the movie change? Are there any more sort of processes that you build in when you're you're watching something you know you're going to write about? Well, it's just about watching it as sort of as actively and attentively as possible and with, you know, either a pen and paper or more realistically a laptop or, or notes app open and just trying to like think as much as possible. Like, why are they saying this? What are the decisions that are happening here? What is the effect of each one of these little micro decisions? Right now, we're trying to write about a documentary, which is really interesting because you have to be you, you can't focus on like the writing of it. You have to focus on the construction of it. And what yeah. is it about these decisions that lead to the effect that it's having? And how much did the director contribute to that and how and why? And just sort of having to be thinking as obsessively as possible while you're watching, watching something that a lot of people just enjoy as escapism. It's you're overanalyzing something that the vast majority of people are turning on to veg out to, which is kind of fun and exciting because you get to mount this investigation into what is supposed to just be fun and is a lot of fun. Ideally, time, more, yeah. fun, more fun the harder you think about it. Yeah. No. 100%. Now, for the folks at home, much like ourselves, who uh, fancy ourselves wordsmiths, I'm curious when you come off of that viewing experience, when you have your stack of post notes, whatever, you know, notes apps, what does that process look like? Uh, I, I rely on something that is adapted from how the great Jamel Bowie, the New York Times mm. columnist, uh, how he described his process, which is. He imagines himself sitting at a bar. This is my sort of malapropismed version of what he does, but <laughs> imagines himself sitting down with an indulgent friend or stranger and trying to explain what he's working on. Hmm. And so how would you, if you had the time to say it, but you had to do it colloquially and keep someone's interest, how would you describe what is interesting and exciting about this topic? And I find that really helps me with my outlining these days is to write as colloquially as possible as though you are talking to an indulgent friend, but you don't want to lose them. So how do you hook them as quickly as possible? And then how do you lay it all out? And it's, you know, it's, it's kind of just the idea of basic writing 101 is how do you make your stuff interesting? But imagining it as, as spoken, I have found really helps me these days. Um, imagining it as crafting a monologue that then gets put through the, you know, sort of word vomit to prose filter. Just kind of finding your way into it often is you just got to find the entrance to that rabbit hole and then you can kind of tumble down from there. So getting it, getting the beginning right as quickly as possible, I think, is, is the best investment of time that I can make. It's just finding the right first paragraph and trusting it from there. That's awesome. This is a deeply unfair question to ask a man who just had a book come out. <laughs> what director would you want to tackle next? Boy, what director? That's a, <laughs> that is a tough question because uh, my next book is not about a director. It's about Bob Dylan as a cinematic figure. So I'm stuck on him. Uh, uh. Amazing. But, you know, I'll just I'll, I'll say it. Fine. Um, if I if I get the privilege of doing something after that, the, the artist and often director that really excites and interests me is Jim Henson. 
Oh, wow. Um, That's amazing. Incredible. Ideal third book uh, would be on Jim Henson as an auteur. Um, I find him a really fascinating artist for all of the obvious reasons. I think that you could have not said a name that would get the three of us collectively more excited about this hypothetical book than Jim Henson. That's awesome. Perfect. Because, you know, it's, there's, there is this art to not just puppetry, but putting puppetry on the screen that he was so specifically yes. uh, fascinated by and, and did such amazing things with. Yeah. So hopefully sometime by the end of the decade, there may be a book on Jim Henson out there. We'll see. Awesome. Well, whenever it's ready, we are here for it. Great. So as people are deciding between what order they're going to watch Boogie Nights and There Will Be Blood in, is there a, a piece of film writing besides your book that you would point them towards as like a great example of, of film writing? As a great example of film writing writ large or about Paul Thomas Anderson? <laughs> it could be either. Well, sure. I mean, I, this answer would answer both questions. I mean, there have been at least three, but notably three other amazing books on Anderson. One by Adam Naiman, which just came out a year or two ago. This wonderful um, sort of coffee table style book, but also is full of beautifully written analysis by Adam. But the book before that, that precedes that in Anderson's studies is by a guy named George Tolles. And I find him and his book absolutely fascinating. He is a collaborator of Guy Madden's. Are you all familiar with, yeah. with Guy Madden? Yeah. George Tolles wrote a bunch of Guy Madden's movies, including co-writing My Winnipeg. He wrote Brand Upon the Brain and The Saddest Music in the World. And he is also a writer of film theory. And his stuff is like ecstatic poetry, but applied to film criticism, academic film criticism. I find him fascinating. Uh, and he wrote a book on Anderson that kind of, it was written before Inherent Vice came out. But he basically predicted Phantom Thread. Oh, wow. And it's, it's just the way that guy's brain works is, is beautiful and glorious. And I mean, Roger Ebert, you just can't go wrong reading a bunch of Roger Ebert, particularly his, uh, his great movies essays, which were where yeah. he would go back to movies that he had previously reviewed or in some cases predated his time as a reviewer and wrote more sort of long form essays on them. I just think he's he's just about the best there is and ever was. And then A.O. Scott of the New York Times wrote a great book called, I think, Better Living Through Criticism. Mm -hmm. That is about just yeah. the very concept of criticism. That is a fascinating book, too. So right off the top of my head, that's that, oh, and Pauline Kael, I She's a controversial figure, but I, I think you absolutely can't go wrong reading a ton of Pauline Kael. I think lover or hater, if you're thinking about doing film criticism, you need you to, you, you gotta confront her. Yes. She's wrong about Casablanca, but she's very funny. <laughs> she is. <laughs> well, thank you, Ethan, for, for adding your voice into the wonderful world of Anderson Studies. And, and thank you so much for, for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. I learned so much about what fish can do with their eyes. <laughs> <laughs> For more of your work, where should people go? Uh, I am on Twitter, for better or worse, <laughs> at Ethan underscore Warren underscore. And uh, my website, which I have not updated in a while, but does have lots of information about my various other projects, uh, is EthanRAWarren.com. I have lived a lot of lives as a writer. I wrote and directed a movie that you can watch if you want to. It's on, God, I don't know. It's, it bounces around. The, the distributor puts it on various streaming services at different times. It's been on Stars. It's been on Prime. It's, I think, Tubi right now. Oh, uh, But that's called West of Her. You can find some info about that. I've written some plays, done a lot of things. So EthanRAWarren.com. 
You can Amazing. learn all about that. Um, and you can also buy Ethan's book wherever fine books are sold. That's right. Currently available as an ebook and uh, in paperback by the end of April. This has been No Bad Ideas, produced by Gabrielle Urbina, Sarah Shackett, and Zach Valenti. Many thanks to our patrons for their partnership in making this show possible. And a special shout out to our idealist members, Jeffrey Felsher, Gemma, Rena, Robert Johnson, and Leap Flame. Today's episode features music by State Shirt and Jazar from freemusicarchive.org. You can support the show at nobadideaspodcast.com slash support. And if you really love this show, let us know by leaving a rating and review wherever you listen and consider sharing it with someone you love.